2: Hello ladies and gents, and welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Tradecast. I am here, uh, it seems like now as always, with uh, my good friend Nathan Powell, uh nathan
3: the gap factory labor day sale is happening now hurry in for the best deals of the season 40 to 75 percent off everything plus doorbusters august 30th through september 2nd only tees from 499 logo styles from 1699 and jeans from 1999 shop in store today at gap factory or at gapfactory.com. what's going on
1: tonight you know not much uh in sunny florida where it's 100 degrees in the beginning of april
2: yeah, we're we're about uh, half of that right now. We're about fifty five, sixty, but we got a nice big snowstorm coming in through Minnesota. So, I think uh, I think <laughs> we might be trending in different directions in the near future.
1: Well, that that sounds about right for our two climates. But you know, uh, as people know, I'm I'll be moving toward your climate
2: soon. <laughs> True, the north, which uh, isn't a isn't a isn't a bad thing. Get yourself a little bit of seasons in you. Yeah, that'll be good. That'll be good for you. Uh, so we did start off the show by uh, saying, you know, I'm Dan and Nathan's here as well. And uh, as of late, we have been saying that hopefully we get Eric back next week. Well, um, unfortunately, Eric uh, has decided to step away. We uh, aren't going to talk about reasoning or anything like that. Obviously, it's totally <laughs> everything's totally fine. Life has priorities and and he's going through all of that right now. So um, we absolutely love Eric. There's no hard feelings whatsoever. We wish him the best and everything that's going on. And um, if you guys can, you know, reach out, throw out some positive vibes. I know he would appreciate all of that as well. So for uh, for the foreseeable future, it is uh, just going to be Nathan and I. We haven't really discussed what path we want to take, uh, but I-, I believe the trade cast goodness will kind of stick around and in and- be the normal goodies and we may add a few more um, co- or guest hosts along the way to kind of make up for for only having two voices so if you guys have any recommendations have any any guests you'd like to hear that maybe you haven't heard before we're always looking for uh, for some new folks and always willing to to take on people maybe we ha- we don't know anything about and, and kind of uh, broaden our horizons so Um, That is all of that. Um, Again, we wish Eric all of the best. Uh, Hopefully, at some point, he'll uh, at least make a guest appearance with us and and maybe come back full-time at one point. But for right now, uh, it's just going to be me and Nathan.
1: And not to get too mushy-gushy here, but uh, Eric, we'll we'll miss you a ton. Um, But just thinking back to when uh, me and Eric had the idea for this podcast... It was my idea to begin with. I slid into his DMs and I said, hey, Eric, do you want to do a podcast with me? And he says, no, I want to do one with Jeff Miller. And <laughs> and then it, that didn't work out. So then I was the consolation prize after Jeff said, no, it doesn't work for me. I, I got to do the DLF pod or whatever it was. Uh, that's when Eric and I teamed up for Dice Tradecast. And then... We said, hey, we got to get an editor. This this is the best part for you guys. We said, we have to find an editor because we don't want to edit this podcast. So we said, Dan, would you be interested in editing this podcast? And Dan says, sure. Can I also be the third co-host? And then we say, sure. And guess what? We are about 150 episodes in. How many episodes have you edited, Dan?
2: Uh, Technically one, but never made it because it got corrupted. So zero. (laughs)
1: so there you go that's just a little backstory of how the trade cast got started we we love you eric and uh even if it's just for a guest spot in the middle of october to talk about how bad the bengals are uh we'd love to have you on
2: wow just that's that seems a little harsh. Talk about how bad the Bengal. I mean, they're going to be horrible, but you know, we don't have, to, <laughs> have to rub it in. Uh, <laughs> so today we are going to be talking uh, a little bit of rookie auction strategy. Uh, last time we chatted about rookie draft strategy, so this is going to be a little bit different. We've noted. I I've definitely noticed over. You know, the entire dynasty landscape that auction has become more and more prevalent. It seems to be the uh, the preferred way to, you know, do startups, do rookies, do all sorts of different things. Um, So we're going to definitely hit on that topic as well. We've got a few uh, a few different things. So before we dive in to the rookie auctions strategy, uh, I just want to let you guys know as a loyal podcast listener that you can get 30% off of a Rotoviz NFL pass for the 2019 season. It's available through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. The 2019 season is almost here, so make sure you're ready. Gain unlimited access to all of our NFL content and tools so you get amazing value and support the podcast network. That's us. Once again, that's rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Okay, rookie auction strategy. So Nathan, for starters, just in a generic sense, do you prefer auction, uh, at least from a rookie standpoint? You know, we can st- obviously most leagues are, you know, whether you're doing startup or not, but just in rookie draft specifically, do you prefer to draft or to auction?
1: I mean, I think that there there's room in the world for both. I mean, if I had to choose one for the rest of my life, I think I'd actually choose draft because it has a bit more of the, you know, the roots of the game involved in like trading up and things like that. But I I think there's room in your dynasty portfolio for both rookie drafts and rookie auctions. Rookie auctions are a ton of fun and for a number of the things that we're going to talk about on this podcast. But, you know, the main thing, thing being, you know, you talk about in a startup auction, you can get any player you want. And a rookie auction, technically, you can try and get any player you want by acquiring a certain amount of money. And so there's so much more flexibility with acquiring, you know, player a bunch of players uh, late or acquiring the, the big fish in the 101. There's so much more strategy involved in a rookie auction. Um, so those that, that are the reasons why I like it.
2: I think, yeah, I think uh, you pretty much hit everything on the nose right there. I, I I do love myself uh, just a regular straight up snake draft, I think, or, you know, a regular rookie draft on a snake draft. Cause you wouldn't do that in a rookie draft. Cause that'd be stupid. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think drafts are definitely fun. Like you said, it just kind of takes you back to the roots and it's just kind of very straightforward. And, and it's, it's probably more of a uh, beginner's way to do it. Not not to say that anyone who does it is a beginner. It's it's just it's a much more simple uh, way to do it where auction, like you said, can be a little more complex. There's a lot of different ways you can go about doing things and you can target everyone rather than, you know, if you have a pick, you I mean, you're you're really only getting that one player unless you're deciding to trade out and do those types of things. So um, speaking of trading, let's talk about how to value our future picks in these auction drafts. So, obviously, we know that they're not going to be—it's not going to be one hundred one, one hundred two, or one hundred three. But we do know that it's going to have some sort of cash value to it. So, when you're looking into future picks, Nathan, do you take team build into consideration and and take a look at those at those value charts to see kind of ballpark how much money you're looking at?
1: Yes, yeah, I, I definitely do. You know, similar to I look at my training in early first, mid first, late first but i think that the one big difference between a snake and a, a auction as far as trading a future pick i'm a lot less scared of trading a high future first in rookie auctions than i am in rookie drafts because in a rookie draft the the 101 always gets you Saquon Barkley or the 101 always gets you you know that top player whether they're exponentially more than the 102 or whether they're close to the 102 whereas in an auction that isn't guaranteed for you. So yes, I mean, obviously you don't want to trade away you know the top value. Let's say it's $320, which is the chart that most people use. That's not something that you actively want to try and trade away unless you're getting really good value from it. But it definitely stings less if you trade away a high pick in an auction than if you trade away a high pick in a draft.
2: Right, right. Because the only way to truly you know put an actual price on, let's say, future money or just auction dollars in general is if you have the most money because then you can guarantee yourself the saquon or the you know whatever rookie is going to be 101 this year let's say Nikhil harry uh so unless you know that you're going to have the most money there's no way to know that you're getting that 101 spot so when you're when you're looking at trading for um for future picks whether in most in most cases it's going to be a year in advance how are you are you putting any sort of um you know, any weight on it? Like, is it, is it going to be worth a little bit less to you? Is it still going to kind of hold its value normal? Um, How do you feel about, about actually trading for those?
1: Well, I I do think that the one thing that gets overlooked by many people who are beginners in the rookie auction format is that if you have a contender that has a late first and you have a, a rebuilder, that's an early second, you know, even in a traditional dynasty league, I feel like the gap between a late first and an early second in future value is pretty wide, but I think that gap narrows by a lot to the point where I'm fine. Like let's say I have a deal that I think is pretty even, but they they want a little bit more on top. Then I offer the deal they want, but I add in my first and I and they give me their second and third. And it could end up being that I get the more money out of that deal. It, it could end up burning me if it ends up being a high first. But I, I think that people underestimate the you know ability to to add up picks.
2: Yeah, pick swapping in, in auction, I think, is is definitely um, more valuable, especially when you're looking at, at the end of one round to the beginning of another one, just like you mentioned. So, depending on the value chart that your league's using, obviously, not everybody uses the same one, uh, but generally speaking, they're all pretty balanced um, and they all kind of work off of the same principles. Nothing's really too chaotic. You're not going to see a big tier drop off from from the end of the first to the early second because honestly it shouldn't be that much different um whereas you know in like a normal rookie draft going from 112 to let's say 204 is you know it can be pretty significant depending on on the players available so all right uh next one will be
1: uh trading current money for future picks and this this kind of goes goes to the fact of you know people talk about oh i'll trade the 108 for uh you know a future first because it's a weak class and that kind of transfers over to auction i've actually found a lot more success trading current rookie auction money for future picks than i have trading current picks for future picks, just because the person who's trading that future first for the money they see it they don't see it as a player they see it as oh i can do this much with this money or they're seeing it as a way of quote unquote like trading up because let's say they have $250 you add 120 onto that and then you're probably going to be able to get the the top player in most formats so i think that because there's so many different things to do with money people are more willing to trade that future first for you know the 110 to 112 equivalent worth of money
2: right yeah getting getting a, a future for min value um, when looking at, you know, it, just within the round, because obviously the the first round, the second round, the third round, all are going to have different different pricing. So if you're looking at a future first, you should prob- probably be trying to trade min value of the current year money to get into that. And sometimes you can even get less. A lot of times guys will go, well, I'm going to be a top four or five or bottom four or five team. I'm going to need more than that. And, you know, use your best judgment when you're doing those types of deals. But anytime you're looking at getting getting a, a future first, that's, you know, anywhere outside the pretty much locked outside the top three, which in most cases we can, we can put a general guess on. Obviously nothing is finite. Nothing is, is, you know, guaranteed. So uh, just be cautious when you're doing that, but definitely your starting point should always be min value within the round that you're trading for when you are looking at trading current money for future picks, just to, to kind of cover your butt a little bit. Plus, that makes makes it so you're gaining a little bit more uh in future unless that person is end up ending up with 112 or whatever the end the end that va- pick value is in your uh in your given round some you know sometimes they're 14 16 whatever however many teams there are so definitely start with min value there all right
1: let's move on to how does other players amounts of money impact your strategy and for me, I think that this can certainly fluctuate from league to league and league size also is, is, has a, a factor with this as well. But let's say it's your typical 12-team, 12, 12 you know, PPR, normal league. Uh, I, I think that you definitely do have to be cognizant of, of the big fish and even of the the guys who don't have any money. Because it, if you're looking at, at, let's say you're in the middle of the pack, let's say you have $250 and the two biggest guys have $750 and $500. You kind of have to just look at it as – those guys are going to control the first 12 to 15 or top 12 to 15 players that are going off the board. So, you know, basically you have to look at your money and say, do I want to try and, you know, spend up, make them, them pay for one of those mid first? Do I want to add a couple of second rounders with this money? Um, or the other option is a lot of the times the big fish are always wanting to just take on more money. And so that's when you can capitalize and say, well, I'm not the big fish this year, but if I trade – Two fifty for a first, second, and third. Then I'm the big fish next year, and then I'm going to be the one that people are going to be trying to trade money to. So, um, not to say you always have to be the one that has the most money in an auction or not participate, but honestly, I I think that that is a good strategy to have. That you know, try and you know, load up or punt out.
2: Right. Yeah. If you're taking your min cash in and and you've got a couple of teams that have already traded for a bunch of cash, you either have to, like you said, wait it out and just kind of. Go for the bones at the end, or you can make your cash more valuable by maybe not sending it to the top dog, but maybe the second or third owners that have that money that they're trying to play catch up with those guys. And another way to look at it too, and you need to make sure that you're not overestimating the amount of money that you have, because if, like Nathan, made, let's say it's 750, 500, and 250, and you're maybe, let's say you have 250, you're like the fourth or so in line. That doesn't mean that you're going to get the fourth best player. You still have guys in front of you. One of them has twice as much money. The other has three times as much money. So they're already blocking you out of the top five right there. If you've got another team in front of you, that's maybe the top six. So you need to really know where you stand. And even then, unless you're unless you're covering, a, a, you know, a full amount, let's say like like I said, if you have two fifty, that's that's the max you're going on a player unless you trade for more. So you need to make sure that you cover a full another two fifty to block out any other teams trying to go for whoever you may like. So like Nathan said, I think either go big or go home is is honestly the play in, in rookie auction. And when you if you decide that you're going to you know back out and maybe uh, keep just a little bit and get some dollar players at the end, uh, definitely look for those top few teams that are going to be end, ending up battling over players because they're the ones that are going to be most aggressive in trying to get that extra cash.
1: Now, this actually does kind of relate to one question we did get on rookie auctions. Eric, Eric John Flynn said, uh, if you've got a taxi squad in your league, it seems like a a way to go going late and often cheap as far as the auction. Where do you kind of start, you know, bidding on those late guys? Is it like a mid-second type? Is it an early third? You know, in terms of an ADP with rookie drafts, is there a range of obviously this can vary year to year. But is there a range? If you're going dumpster diving per se with your money, is there a range where you're, you're looking to start using that money?
2: I'm I'm looking to start using it as soon as people start slowing down. The board become when the board becomes a lot less active and people become um, not necessarily values per se because it, you know as much as we want to say oh just wait for the values wait for the values I mean those guys are in most cases going to be values anyways you just need to wait until the big money starts to slow down and the more active folks start to slow down. So that way you can kind of pounce on those guys with whatever amounts you have. But once, once it does start to slow down, you need to be aggressive in going after the guys that you've been waiting for. So I wouldn't wait too long because then a lot of times you lose out on those mid tier players. So once, once that drop-off kind of happens, depending on the player pool, uh, it's usually pretty obvious when, when the board kind of goes stale a little bit, um, you need to find that kind of happy zone and and judge the way your league's kind of trending at the time. Because like I said, if you wait too long, you're not going to get the guys that you wanted in that mid range. And if you go too early, you're just going to get bit out and you're going to have to kind of restart. So um, I, I would be aggressive as soon as you, as soon as you pick up on that.
1: Yeah. And I do think that the, the state of your team and how many roster spots you have to burn is an important thing to look at there because I think that if you have a team that is completely rebuilding and you have plenty of roster spots to burn, then maybe you take a, a swing at four or five, maybe even six guys that are going in the third to fourth round. But if you only have two to three roster spots, take the swing on the two late second rounders because, you know, there's no point in saving money for roster spots that you won't be able to, you know, have on your roster by the time, you know, season cutdown comes. So you do have to be cognizant of, you know, how many guys you'll be able to keep from your rookie auction? Yes, that's obviously it's more apparent in a rookie draft when you say, okay, I have five uh, spots to burn and I have six picks. Okay, I'm going to have to do something here, whether it be trade up or drop a player or whatever it may be. Uh, I think it's less apparent in the auction in the format where you're just like, okay, I'm just trying to win as many guys as possible.
2: Definitely. Yeah. Like Nathan said, that just keeping, keeping an eye and knowing your league settings, know where you have to cut down to, uh, how many taxi squad spots you have available. If you have a full free taxi squad of four or five, however many it happens to be, then yeah, I'm probably saving a few extra dollars. If I can't get those guys I'm looking for and just go dumpster diving at the end. You know, if you have the last six nominations at the very end of the draft and you can guarantee that you just have a a bunch of random players who maybe had some, you know, mid to late draft capital that no one was really interested in because they got horrible landing spots. Take a shot on them. At the end of it, at the end of it, you're just looking for dart throws anyways, to put on your taxi squad. Those players aren't going to be scoring points and they can't attribute to any totals anyways. So those are the kind of guys that you're looking purely for upside and have really no floor at all.
1: All right, let's move on to our next auction topic. This is going to be a quick episode, folks, but you know, lots of content. Back in the uh, the OG days, from those that remember that, this was a twenty to thirty minute podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that lasted about four episodes.
1: Yeah. Uh, all right. So, next one is going to be nomination strategy. Uh, for nomination strategy, basically, uh, when. Let's, let's. I guess we can go through both angles. Let's say you, the, the top of the pack and the middle of the pack. How does that change your strategy? Are you, are you nominating the guy who's the one on one? Are you nominating you know your sleeper pick in, in the the early third? What are your thoughts on what? Uh, who are you nominating and why?
2: So if I'm top dog, I'm depending on what I've got behind me. If I'm top dog by a lot, I'm just going to go get my guy right away and and then just kind of let them pick the rest. Uh, but if it's kind of close, I'm nominating the guy that I don't want to, I mean, and I'm going to put a decent reserve on him if it's, a, if it's a non-proxy, if it's proxy, probably just starting out small, and let everybody else go after him. You know, sometimes that throws people off the scent. Sometimes they're like, oh, you just nominated to nominate. Um, but I'm usually trying to get the other players on the board that I'm not interested in that I think are going to pull a lot of money so that way that money's going off the board that direction and i can focus on the players i'm looking for now if i'm a mid-tier guy i'm just kind of waiting it out i may start with some lower end guys to to just kind of get something going on the board maybe you can kind of work somebody into overpaying for one of those lower end guys or maybe you can land one of them for cheap because everyone's focusing on the top end so Again, this really depends on on your league, your other owners, how everybody participates, the players that they're interested in. Um, it's It can kind of just be a crapshoot at the end of the day, but going in with a little bit of an idea of who you're targeting and how much you're willing to spend on any given player. Now, rookie drafts are obviously different than startup drafts because you don't have to come away with a full roster or a starting lineup or anything like that. You can spend all of your money on one player. Great. Go for it. Uh, and a lot of times, that's going to end up being the best case scenario because you're probably going to get the be- player that's going to amount to the most value and the most fantasy points, which is what this is all about. But um, yeah, I, I just I, I think there's so many different ways to go about it that it's hard to just like pick one or two. Um, I just I've had a lot of success as top dog, either putting someone else on the board I'm not interested in, or just getting my guy right away and then kind of sitting back.
1: Yeah, this will slightly bleed into our next topic, but for me, if I'm the top dog, I want the guys that I want off the board as quickly as possible for two reasons, because I I, won't, I don't want to end up being the guy who's bidding up on the last guy and it's here, but also because I want to spend my money, and if I want to have the luxury of trying to trade that money later on in the auction, I want that money to still have value before you know the bottom falls out. Once the like, top 15, top 17 players are gone, that auction money Severely decreases in value and no one really wants it as much as, you know, they did earlier in the auction when they had a shot at, at bidding on a guy that they really wanted. So if I'm a top dog, I'm, I'm throwing up the, the 101. one I'm throwing up whoever I have as, uh, as a guy who I, I value highly. Um, and as far as if I'm, you know, more of in the middle of the pack, I, I do think that, you know, still throwing up a guy who you think is going to get as much money off, off the board as possible because you want, that big fish to you know spend as much money as possible and then help maybe hit like the, and the example of what I want to talk about just now. Uh, maybe you can trade for more money from someone once they've spent some money and that they, they decide they got their targets and then you can acquire some money so you can b- bid on other players as well. So um, there's factors to, to getting those top guys off the board on from both a, a high perspective and a middle perspective.
2: Definitely. And, and another thing you can do, you know, with your with probably your first nomination Um, sticker shock's a real thing. You can, you can absolutely put a guy up, put a big number, assuming it's non-proxy, put a big, big number on a guy that you're trying to get. And sometimes folks leave it alone because that they see that number and they think, wow, that's, I mean, they just went straight for it. And some people aren't ready for that. Some people just kind of sit back and say, all right. we're not going to do that some people see it as an overpay and then it gets down to the nitty gritty and now players four five and six are approaching that amount because a lot of times that's how it goes once you get into those dollar sheriff bidding wars it it, you know it's everything adds up and and you know that mid-tier ends up being a little bit more overvalued because once the top few players come off everyone's battling over to get the next best player and it, it often ends up you know, with with those middle owners getting those middle players, and all just beating the crap out of each other.
1: Yeah, and honestly, you talked about sticker shock only happening in non-proxy. It can happen in proxy as well. I mean, it, let, let's say you had Saquon Barkley last uh, last year's rookie rookie auctions, and let's say your proxy was at five hundred, and let's say the the second highest owner threw four hundred on it. He probably threw 400, thinking, okay, I'm at least going to take the lead for a few minutes here. If he throws 400 and it doesn't even get the lead, he's like, wow, what's this guy have on him? And maybe that might entice him to bid a little bit higher. But still, once you get someone to bid that high number, like, I still don't have them. And then they're like, do I really even want to go further? Do I want to go to the next few players that might be cheaper?
2: Yeah, and that that can really throw off a player that's budgeting in, in order to try to get a certain amount of players, you know, incorrectly budgeting, I might say. Um, that can really throw them off. Even if they're not budgeting, like you said, Nathan, just seeing that big number, it's its kind of off-putting sometimes. You know, you, you, you look at it and you think, all right, this is too early to, to go crazy, but it's not too early. If you're going to go get your guy, you got to get your guy. And I think nominating and starting with a big number is the best way to go about it. Because like Nathan said, you want those guys off the board as fast as possible because you don't want any pressure at the end. and And that, you know, puts a little more pressure on those middle-tier guys and middle-tier owners in order to to get those players and picks off the board.
1: All right. And so we, we've talked about it a little bit, but we'll, we'll get a little bit deeper into spend early versus saving. Obviously, this is more of a startup conversation for most people. That People talk about how, you know, waiting in a startup auction can oft, often be the optimal way to get the best value. Now, it may sound obvious, but that isn't usually the move for rookie auctions. In most rookie auctions, the top six, seven, eight players are always on the board the first day. The top... 12 to 14 are on the board by the first two days. If you're on day three of a rookie auction and haven't won a player or two, and you have like a a big amount of money, you're likely going to end up overpaying for, you know, some mid second rounders, late second rounders. Um, Is there, I mean, maybe you can talk me out of it. Is there any benefit to waiting uh, in a rookie auction to spend some money?
2: Not usually. Uh, Wait, waiting for me, especially if you, you know, whether it's a balanced auction or, uh, or if you have a good amount of money, waiting isn't just not really a great idea in rookies. Uh, rookie drafts that's a, that's more of a startup auction strategy um, but a lot like startup auction strategies if you do wait you're not getting the elite players you're, you could get a bunch of middling players great um, but again it's really finding that fine line of how long is too long to wait if you wait too long you're not getting anything and now you have a whole bunch of money that isn't it isn't transferable you can't carry it over no one's sending it overseas to your offshore bank account it's gone and you have no use for it other than some random middle, you know, mid second player that no one really wanted to begin with. And now you had to pay like, you know, (laughs) half your budget for it because you waited too long. So yeah, honestly, rookie, rookie auctions, you shouldn't be waiting. Uh, I think we've harped on it a fair amount so far. If you want your guy, go get him, put a, put a, you know, a really competitive or strong, or maybe even overpay number on that player to ensure that you're at least competitive in getting him. Um, and sometimes you can deter players with big numbers, Sometimes you then can get other people to overpay and overspend and you can kind of move on. I think, I think it's important to, to have kind of broad expectations and a few guys that you're targeting and don't be super, super narrow-minded because you can get really stuck and end up overpaying for someone. So as much as I say don't budget, I would say have a, have an absolute max on any given player. And maybe there's one player you're willing to go full max on. And sometimes if you're a middle-of-the-road you know owner and you, you don't have a ton of money... Max is probably going to be your number for like the top six or eight guys. Uh, and a lot of times I'll do that right away. I'll start at the top. I'll max it and see how long it takes for me to get bid out. Go to the next guy, max it, see how long it takes for me to get bid out and so on and so forth all the way down the line. That's at least guaranteeing you're getting that much money out of the auction. And then you can start being a little more competitive in those bids.
1: Yep, for sure. All right, let's go on to our last question topic. And We can talk about this from a generic standpoint as well as an auction standpoint. Uh, Pete Lawrence uh, at underscore Pete Law asked us, "How do you value QB in a one QB league with the 2019 draft class?" So I guess we'll start with the auction point of view because that's that's been our focus so far. Uh, whether whether you're looking to to get a quarterback or whether you're you know you have Pat Mahomes and you're set for the future in one QB league, what's your approach with the one QB in a one QB league auction uh, for 2019?
2: So QB in general, uh, you know, whether it's rookie or just normal draft, I'm targeting them immediately after my top, you know, 10, 12, 16 guys it's finding that cushion. Um, sometimes you can get them for a pretty good price because in one quarterback league, no one ever pays anything for, for QBs. So I think if you are really interested in getting someone like Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins or uh, even Will Greer, I I think, I think you can be a little bit more aggressive. And if you nominate them early, they're likely to pass through a little bit more unscathed. I think the longer you wait, obviously, like we've talked about, the more they're going to be. But in one QB, I think generally speaking, your cushion is going to be between like player value 10 and 16 or 18 for the top QB. Uh, It just kind of depends on, again, on your league scoring, because that is important. It does matter uh, if you get any boosts for rushing or carries, or um, if touchdowns are four points or six points, or if you get big play bonuses or anything like that. So you have to be cognizant of that as well. But I think, I think in an auction, you can. Uh, normally, just kind of value those those quarterbacks the same way you would in, in any other uh, one QB draft or auction, whatever it happens to be.
1: Yeah, I, I think that if you are looking to be the one who gets a, a quarterback, then I think that the strategy is to nominate them early. But I do think there is a strategy involved to letting them sit out there because if a couple of the, the top dogs leave some money on the board – and then let's say it's day three, day four, and Kyler Murray or Haskins or, you know, the top few quarterbacks haven't been nominated in one quarterback league. This is how they kind of justify, oh, like I have all this money left. And then two guys end up overbidding on a quarterback because it's the last asset that's worth, you know, that the last asset that was a day one or two pick in the NFL draft. And so... I think that if you want to get an overpay for a quarterback early on is not to do it, uh, it's more so once that flurry of spending has been has happened, but there's still some money left on the board to overspend.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I think um, and if somebody's in love with one of these guys, then obviously you could see a little bit of an overspend early, but I think generally speaking, like you mentioned, Nathan, that they're going to be more apt to being bid up later on. Um, and then you look at the other side of the coin. If we look at Superflex, those are going to be your your top end. That's that's going to be your kind of your starting point with players, especially in this type of class. Where I think in super flex, you're probably going to be taking Kyler and Haskins uh, higher than, or if not, you know, equal to the top wide receivers. Whereas last year, someone like Saquon was in any in any fashion was going to be ahead of the Bakers. Was going to be ahead of all of the other quarterbacks. And this year we don't really have that. So again, it depends on player pool, Um, you know, super flex target target um, quarterbacks the way you would target running backs and wide receivers. If you're looking at super flex and then one QB you know, let, let them kind of hang, uh, or get them early. If you really want one, get it early, uh, or just kind of let it be. And then you can, you can maybe focus on wide receiver, tight end, running back later on. If you let those quarterbacks sit, because again, like we literally just mentioned, they're going to pull a better price tag because now you're looking at startable fantasy points as a quarterback position late in an auction. And you know, the, the big money is going to get those guys.
1: So this is, since this is a one quarterback question, I guess I should just ask, where do you think the cutoff is? And obviously this will, will be impacted by, you know, where they go in the draft and in their landing spots. But let's say name every quarterback that you think is rosterable in 2019 from the rookie class in a 1QB league.
2: In a 1QB league, I would say it's Kyler, it's Haskins, it's uh, Greer, Greer, however you say it, and that's probably it unless you have like a taxi squad or something like that or your team is horrendous and you're just looking for any kind of depth maybe taking a shot but i would say those three are are my three quarterbacks uh, i see well seen the problem is, is is the giants are going to end up taking daniel jones not at 17 but at 6 because they're the worst franchise <laughs> in the nfl and then you have to take that player so i would say i would say any first round quarterbacks are absolutely you must have on your roster uh, beyond that i i don't think i don't think it's really necessary to to get them yeah ooh, new shiny thing it's a rookie it's you know it's gonna be worth more but well, it, it ends up just being a waste of a roster spot so any 1st round qbs are absolute must drafts or must bid-ons uh if you you know if you need a, a quarterback even if you don't need a quarterback sometimes you just get really nice value on them and um and you can end up trading them for more later especially when one of them hits just like how with patrick mahomes that that year you could have you know when whether it was auction or draft you could have gotten Patrick Mahomes for next to nothing in in the big scheme of things and now he's worth I mean he's he's going in like early second or or mid second in a lot of one quarterback startups which is nuts.
1: Yep. righty That'll wrap up. Uh, about oh, I guess I'll I, I will say you're you're right. I mean Daniel if Daniel Jones goes first round he is absolutely worth a roster spot uh, in one quarterback leagues. Um, Jared Stidham would be a guy I'm, I look out for, but I, it depends on how late he ends up going. But some some people like him in the second, third round. Um, and then what's the, the Buffalo quarterback, Tyree Jackson? He people see him as like a you know a more raw Josh Allen, which is a, a very raw player. <laughs> um, so he's kind of a, a swing for the fences type. But that th- those type of guys are usually more super flex stashes than in one quarterback leagues all righty uh that'll wrap us up for today uh it was a nice quick nice fun show we had on rookie auction strategy and i know we talked to auctions earlier this offseason, but i don't think we touched on, touched on rookies too much so hopefully we didn't repeat ourselves too much one thing i do want to mention uh before we head out today uh dan has has three children uh and i have uh grad school starting in, in the fall
2: and a beautiful and life
1: so, to be. uh, what's that and
2: a beautiful wife to be. Oh, your sure.
1: Attention. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, uh, and so I'm not sure I'm going to have the time to edit <laughs> the Dynasty Tradecast. Uh, it's, a, it's definitely, it's not too time consuming, but it's time consuming enough that we're looking to outsource. We are looking for an editor. Um
3: The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season, 40 to 75% off everything, plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only, tees from $4.99, logo styles from $16.99, and jeans from $19.99. Shop in-store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com.
1: Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G, because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working.